I'm not asking you to answer out loud. This is not probably the best setting for a counseling session, all right? So uh, I do want to ask you this question to think about it. Have you ever found yourself in a heated argument with your spouse? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever found yourself in a heated argument with maybe a sibling or a friend? My, my mom used to tell Michelle and I that uh, dad, my dad and her, they weren't fighting. They were having a robust discussion. That's how they described it. They're not fighting. Uh, have you ever found yourself having a robust, heated discussion with your spouse, with a sibling, with, with a friend? And then that argument, that disagreement, kind of uh, escalates, and it goes on and on, and it gets to this point where uh, you, you, you're in this argument, and it becomes more about winning the argument, winning the disagreement, and you don't even really remember what you were disagreeing over in the first place. Like, what did this argument even start over, right? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Having different opinions, having different preferences in life, right? That's normal. That can be really healthy. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can disagree about and be totally fine, right? Not all of you share my distaste for cats and raisins, right? You're allowed to like weird things. It's fine, right? That's okay. You know, we can still be friends. At least I hope that's true. I hope that's true of us. And yet, even as I say that, uh, we, we can all, I'm sure, whether it's happened to us or we know people what's happened to, there's been relationships that have blown apart over, over disagreements. Uh, and some of those disagreements, uh, they, they kind of turned into this weird thing that had nothing to do with what they first disagreed over, and it got worse. Things that didn't really even matter in the first place. And maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe you've been part of that. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of it. Maybe people that you care about in your life have gone through that, and just things got blown apart. It's like, well, how did this even get to this place? How did we get here? As we study this letter in 1 Corinthians together, we are learning that applying God's truth to our everyday lives makes life better. That's what we're learning together. And I think that's certainly true of the disagreements that we have in our lives, that applying God's wisdom, applying God's truth to our disagreements is going to make life better. I invite you, if you would, please open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians this morning. We're going to jump back into this study as we work through the book together. Hopefully, uh, you took the study guide with you last week, and you read through the chapters that we're going to be uh, discussing this morning. Uh, if you weren't here last week, we had the study guide back there. Every week, we've broken the, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. There's 15 chapters, and we've broken that up. We've organized that into themes, and some of those themes have more than one chapter associated with them. So you can read ahead uh, this week for next Sunday, and you'll come prepared uh, having read through those chapters as often as you've been able to, and, and that'll, uh, that'll help you make the most every week of what we talk about. Uh, but you can have your notes page that you got from Bob when you came in, or your uh, tablet, however you're going to take some notes, that, if that's helpful to you to do that this morning. I want to just quickly remind you of what we're reading. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a very real church, a young church, uh, at that time, the church was only six, seven years old, something like that. And this is a church that Paul actually started. He established this church in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, in the year 50 
A.D. And he spent about a year and a half there establishing this church. And then when he moved on from Corinth to Ephesus, he, he gave the leadership, the speaking responsibilities, over to a man named Apollos. Apollos was super smart, a very intelligent man, very gifted communicator, and he loved Jesus. And you hear all of that information, and you think, man, the Apostle Paul planted this church. Uh, he hands it off to a very talented person. What could possibly go wrong, right? You've got all the ingredients for success. And yet, uh, here what we find out about four or five years uh, after uh, Paul had left, he's in Ephesus, he's leading a, uh, a church there, establishing a church, and uh, he gets word from some people in the, in the Corinth church that uh, there's some disagreements that have been going on in the church that have gotten to the point of some really heated battles, gotten to the point where there was, there was dissension and division within the local church. Uh, there was some fighting happening and relationships. Relationships were getting torn apart. So we're going to jump into that, uh, that information in verse 10 of chapter 1. Paul writes this to this church. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. The word division in the original language is a word you would use if you were tearing something. And applied to this context, the image is of, of these relationships that are being torn apart. There shouldn't, be, there shouldn't be these divisions where relationships are being torn apart. Rather, he says, you should be of one mind and united in thought and purpose. We'll talk a little bit more about that later this morning. Some of the people from Chloe's household, we don't, it's not told who they were. It could have been family. It could have been maybe uh, servants. We're not told who it is, but somehow uh, they get word back to Paul about these quarrels. The word quarrels means that there's fighting, right? There's bickering. There's, uh, there's these heated arguments. These robust discussions are getting out of hand. Dear brothers and sisters, there's quarreling, there's fighting, there's, there's division. And you read that and you think, oh my, something really important must be happening. Something really bad must be happening in this, in this local church to have divisions, right? There must be something really, uh, really important at stake. Maybe it's some uh, major doctrinal issue that they're colliding over. Well, that's not what was happening at all, actually. If you go to verse 12, here's, here's what they were fighting over. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I'm a follower of Apollos. And some other people are saying, I follow Peter. Some other people are saying, I follow Jesus. These divisions in the church, the fighting, the, the arguing, the, the torn relationships are all over who's, who's the leader of our team. It's like people started wearing these different team jerseys to church, right? They got the jersey on. I'm, I'm Team Paul. Got my Team Paul jersey on. I'm a charter member of this church. I was here when, I was here when Paul started this church. I've been here longer than you. You didn't even come until after Paul left. My opinion matters more than you because I've been here the longest. 
Paul preached out of the King James, surely it was good enough for us. That's a little church history joke for you if you didn't pick up on it. We got Team Paul people, you know, and, and they're probably people that were there when the church started, and, and they're loyal to Paul. We can't, you know, this Apollos guy, nah, well, we got to do stuff the way Paul said to do it. Well, then you got other people in the church, they're wearing Team Apollos jerseys. We got a dumb Team Apollos. I don't really care what Paul had to say. That dude was boring. Did you ever hear him speak? He was boring. No, no, no. Apollos, man, he gets it. He connects with me when he preaches. You know, I, I, I heard, and this is true, true story. Out of this, we find out that Paul sends Timothy to Corinth to help out, get things you know, figured out. Now imagine Team Apollos. I want a printed schedule. You got, you know, Timothy's showing up. I want a printed schedule of who's preaching that Sunday. Because Timothy's preaching, I'm not coming. And I, in fact, while you're at it, put on the printed schedule when the missionaries are going to be here, because I'm definitely hashtag sleeping in that day. You think it doesn't happen? Hey, did you hear? Did you hear Pastor Mark's going on vacation? Really? Who's preaching? Listen to me, and I mean this with all the love in my heart to you, okay? The answer to that question should not determine whether or not you get up and go to church to worship Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? I don't mean that harshly, but I know what happens. You got it. You got Team Paul, you got Team Apollos, and then there's Team Peter, which is kind of an interesting jersey to be wearing since Peter, there's no evidence that Peter ever uh, went to Corinth. So who's he addressing? Who's he talking about? Well, it, it, he's probably talking about the, the Christians in that church who had a background, uh, a Jewish background. And we do know from the book of Acts, we know from some of the other letters that Paul wrote, including this one, that there was this struggle with uh, Christians who had a Jewish background, they, they really struggled to accept Gentile Christians that didn't care about their Jewish traditions. That was a struggle for them. The old ways are the better ways. People maybe they were uh, saying things like, you know, in my old church, we used to do things this way, and it was better than this church. Okay. So you have team, team Paul and Team Apollos. I got my Team uh, Peter jersey on, and then uh, Team Jesus. And we don't even know, Bible scholars aren't even sure if there was an actual group claiming to be the Jesus group. But shouldn't that be like the only group? <laughs> that should be like the only jersey. There should be one team wearing one jersey that says Team Jesus. Every church should be that. It's not... Uh, I'm on team senior citizen, and, I'm, and, it, and we're versus team millennial now. It's not team wealthy versus team poor. It's not team diploma versus team degree. It's not team Pastor Mark versus team Pastor Caleb. We're one team. We are team Jesus. That's who we are. And this is why applying God's truth to the way that we handle disagreements it's just going to make life better. I mean, just think about how many stupid arguments. Think about how many 
uh, prideful personal preferences uh, that, that fuel arguments could be avoided if we just remember we're all on the same team. We're all team Jesus. And we're all working together for one win, a common win. It's this, right? We're all working together so that we can see more people meet Jesus and they can learn how to follow Jesus and share their faith in him. We, we're all working to the same win that we can help each other live a Jesus-centered life. Paul tells this church, you guys, you need to stop focusing so much on the messenger and stay unified about the message. Look what he says in verse 13. And he, gets, he gets really blunt with them. He says, has Christ been divided into factions? Did, 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 we, did we take Jesus and, and cut him up into pieces and parts and you, know, you get a little piece, you get a little part? No. Was, was I, Paul, crucified for you? Was, was the leader of your church the one that died on the cross for you? No. Was Paul baptized for you? Was, was your pastor baptized? Are you baptized in the name of your pastor? No. Why are you letting arguments over who's a better messenger distract you from being unified on the message of the gospel? You're all team Jesus. If you go over to chapter 3, uh, Paul comes back. He talks about, we looked at the gospel, the wisdom of the gospel last week, and he, he discusses that. And then he jumps back into this conversation in chapter 3. Look at verse 21. It says, so don't boast about following a particular human leader. Everything belongs to you. Whether you're talking about Paul or Apollos, Peter, the world, life, death, present, future, all that, all of that stuff belongs to you, everything. Because you belong to Christ, because you're Team Jesus. You're all together. And Christ belongs to God. You know, here at Grace Fellowship, we we have organized uh, our ministry into teams. And Every one of those teams have, has a different responsibility, right? You have the parking lot host and the, and the door host teams, and you've got the safety team, children's and, and ministry, children and youth ministry, the congregational care team, the property care team, worship team, prayer team, finance team, leadership team. You've got all these different teams, and, and they all have different responsibilities. But we all have one unified purpose. We all have the same mission. The same mission is to help people meet Jesus, learn how to follow Him, teach people how to share their faith in Jesus, live a Jesus-centered life. That's, every ministry has that same purpose. We're not competing with each other. We're not battling over who gets more recognition. We just want to do our part to help people live a Jesus-centered life. And I want to give you just a real-life example of uh, how that plays out. It, played out, it plays out every, uh, every week, but here's one from just this past week. Last week, uh, it was a Monday actually, uh, last week we had four men from our property care team uh, that went into our Juniatic Campus Church, and they went in there to repair some electrical things that uh, were kind of dangerous and uh, replace a sink, I think a, a toilet or something. And, uh, and, and those are really important things. You're like, well, how does, what's that have to do with helping people live a Jesus-centered life? Well, in a very practical way, uh, if you don't have a toilet that works, it's kind of hard to say, hey, come to our church and, and hope you make it through, right? And, and, and we have a, uh, 
we have a, uh, the Altoona, the city of Altoona is doing an inspection. I'm pretty sure it's this week. And they do this, you know, all over the city. And um, so I just imagine uh, they come in and, you know, the electrical wiring's not up to code or whatever and, you know, exposed wires. And they shut the building down. It's really, really hard to help people live a Jesus-centered life if you don't have a building to do that in, right? If your building gets shut down. Right? So just in practical terms, these things matter. You want a facility that's safe. You want a facility that uh, is, is inviting to new people and looks good. And all those things, they matter. That team matters to our mission. But you also need to understand, because that team was doing that on Monday, I didn't have to go do those things. I was able, at that very same time they were doing those things, I was able to go to the hospital and visit with uh, Louise, who fell and broke her hip and was going to have surgery and just spend time with a sweet lady from our church and, and, and minister to her in, in, a, in a, hopefully an encouraging way. And, right? uh, all of those things uh, work together. Which one's more important? Which one, which one of those ministry matters more? No, no, no. Those aren't the right questions. Right? There's not the right questions. Now, because we're all on Team Jesus, we're all working together for the same goal. And because one ministry is doing that job and another ministry is doing this responsibility, it frees up other responsibilities for your pastor's team to do other things, right? These things matter. We're working together to the same goal. And it's kind of neat when that happens. It happens all the time here in our church. So thankful for that. But you think about how many stupid arguments and how many uh, petty disagreements over personal preferences can just be avoided if we remember we're on the same the same team playing for the same win. You know, I found it interesting uh, back here in chapter 1, after he talks about, you know, some of the divisions and, you know, what was, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he, he goes on and talks about why that's so ridiculous. I got to thinking about that, how Paul mentions baptism as a source of disagreement in their church. And that's kind of weird, right? The baptism would be that. What are, they, what are they arguing about? Are they arguing about whether or not they should keep doing baptism? No. That's not what they were arguing about. They were arguing about uh, my baptism is more important because I got baptized by Paul and, and yours is inferior because you got baptized by Apollos. What is that? It's a really weird argument to be having. Now, I just want to give you kind of a modern example of how that could, if we let it, how that could happen even today. You know, some of you, some of you were baptized in the formal baptistry behind this curtain. Right? And, and some of you, Maybe you got baptized at the lake at Canoe Creek. Some of you maybe were baptized at the Martinsburg Pool. Maybe some other even location. You go back far enough, uh, some people even got baptized down here at the creek. Starting, uh, starting very soon, our next baptism is going to be in a portable baptistry. Right? And it's basically, it's a, it's a watering trough. And you look at that, and you're like, well, I guess my, my, sure glad I got my baptism in before they did that. My baptism is much more spiritual because it was in the formal baptistry, not a watering trough. What are we doing around here? Well, I guess we could, you know, let's have a big old-fashioned church split over the whole thing. It happens, right? Those things happen. Or, or, how about this? How about uh, we remember that baptism is a symbol of our faith in Jesus Christ and our desire to follow Him? How about we remember that baptism is, 
is us publicly saying, I've decided to follow Jesus and to trust him with my whole life. It doesn't really matter what contains the water. We're still team Jesus. We're still thrilled that more people are meeting Jesus and learning how to follow him and being obedient to him in baptism. See, this is is why applying God's truth to disagreements is going to make life better. Do you ever ever wonder why it gets to that point? Do you ever wonder what happens? Because there's weird things that happen in churches all the time where people get mad at each other and and then our relationships get blown apart and there's church splits and and you find out what, what it was that started the whole thing. You're like, are you serious? That's what it was about, right? You've heard stories like this. What happens when opinions and preferences, when they turn into quarrels and fights and divisions and church splits and, and, and blown apart relationships, how does it get to that point? Well, Paul tells us how it gets to that point in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 3. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. He's not talking about, he's not, he's not making a distinction of saved, unsaved here. He's talking about being spiritually mature. How do we know that? Well, read on. He said, I had to talk as though you belong to this world, as though you were infants in Christ, spiritually immature. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And then he says, in fact, you're still not ready. You're still spiritually immature. What evidence do you have of that, Paul? He says, you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You're quarreling with one another. These are evidences of spiritual immaturity. You guys are fighting over who's a better preacher, and you're jealous of one group over another group. And it's a spiritual immaturity problem. In, in chapter 6, I don't know if you read that this week, but in, in uh, chapter 6, there was this problem where believers, they would have these disagreements, and then they'd take each other to court. They would sue each other over whatever the disagreement was. And Paul said, you guys need to stop that. Number one, you're being a bad testimony to the unbelievers that you're going before in court. This is, when they look at you, they're like, this is how you treat each other? You sue each other? Number one, it's a bad testimony. And number two, it demonstrates you're spiritually immature. You can't figure this out. You don't have enough spiritual maturity and love and grace to be able to have a conversation and figure this out. you got to go to court. It's normal we would have different opinions and, and, and different preferences right, over all kinds of things. right? The volume level of, of the, the music in the room. right? You could have different preferences and, and, and opinions about stuff like that. Or uh, different ministries. You know, this, this ministry is still of great value. Uh, this ministry just isn't effective anymore. You have different opinions and preferences over those kind of things. But it's love and spiritual maturity that allows us to have those kind of conversations without relationships blowing up. Learning how to apply God's truth to how we handle disagreements. That's what keeps those conversations from becoming these pride-fueled arguments that blow up. I'm just going to ask you directly. Again, don't answer out loud. Just answer honestly in your heart. How, how do you handle disagreements in your life? You know how you, you know how you handle. Think about the last one you had. Think about, think about the last disagreement, the last robust discussion you had with your spouse. Get it in your mind. How did you handle it? Did you handle it with love? Did you handle it with, with uh, 
with spiritual maturity? Did you forget somewhere along the line that you're still on the same team? Angie and I are on Team Lingenfelder. Your team, whatever your last name is. At the end of all of this, you're still on the same team. Parents, kids, still same team. Did you forget that? Did you forget the goal? Right? In, a, in a church setting, we have, we have a, a common a unified mission. We have a common unified uh, purpose. So is your marriage. So is your marriage. It may not be you know, this specific one. right? Ho- hopefully you do want to help each other live a Jesus-centered life, but ultimately you, know, you want to have a, a, a love-filled relationship where it's not all about yourself, where selfishness doesn't get in the way. Right? Think about your personal preferences. I mean, honestly, do your personal preferences, we all have them. I have them, you have them. Do your personal preferences ever get more weight, more attention than the unified purpose of of helping people meet Jesus? And, And if that happens, if you forget, like, you know, whatever it is, whatever the thing is, and we're doing this so we can help more people meet Jesus and follow him, this is why we're doing it, you know, yeah, I don't care. It's not what I like. It's not what I want. I would prefer this. What's that say about our spiritual maturity if, that, if that's how we handle disagreements? I mean, in fact, you ever catch yourself doing that, right? It's not how I would have done it. It's not the decision I would have made. I wish someone would have asked me first. I don't like this. I don't like that. Okay. Did you handle those thoughts? With, a, with, with, with love and spiritual maturity, or you just walk around complaining anybody will listen? Which does what? Causes d- division, causes dissension, causes relationships to blow up. And this is real stuff that we have to think through, how we're handling our disagreements. Applying God's truth to the way we handle our disagreements, man, makes life better. Makes life better. Having different opinions and preferences is normal. And it can be really, really healthy in a relationship. It can be really healthy even in a church. Diversity of ideas can be really, really healthy. So long as our ideas are rooted in the wisdom and the truth of God. Understand what I mean? Someone may think it's a good idea to celebrate life choices that God has identified and defined as sin. That happened here. You'll look at it next week. That happened in Corinth. The guy was uh, sleeping with his stepmom. And the church was like, I don't, that's fine, whatever. You know, God, God has defined that as sin. And they're like, yeah, that's good. We're, we're tolerant or whatever. And, and, and Paul's like, no, this is a disagreement we're about to have. And he pushed back on them really hard about it. It was a disagreement worth having. And there's those things that happen, right? There's, there's certainly uh, a big difference between, hey, let's have, a, let's have a big old fight in the parking lot over the color of the carpet that we're going to pick or the paint on the walls. Or, you know, guys, we really need to sit down and have a very serious conversation about this doctrinal issue that, that uh, seems to be uh, being debated for some reason. Right? There's a big difference between those two things. Or sin issues. Uh, that, that, are, that, are, that are left just kind of to run rampant and nobody challenges, there's no accountability. Well, I guess that's okay, each his own. It's a big difference between those two things. Some disagreements, some conversations are really important to have and some just aren't. 
Imagine in your own home if that was the standard, right? To know, to have the discernment to know there's certain battles that are worth fighting and some just aren't. Uh, I'll give you an example. One I think is uh, if you're a parent, maybe you're a grandparent, you're raising your kids and your grandkids, and you have set up certain boundaries, certain limits for the internet, for social media. Uh, that could cause tension and disagreement in your home with your students, with your kids, right? Okay, that's fine because that's, that's a disagreement worth having. Why? Because your goal as a parent, your, your, your unified vision uh, as parents is to make sure your kids know how to apply God's truth to their everyday life decisions. We're going we're gonna to dial down on that one. There's lots of other ones that probably aren't worth having a big battle over. But imagine if we all apply God's truth to the disagreements that we have with others. Imagine if we were all intentional about our spiritual maturity, right? That we weren't just satisfied. Yes, I've said the, the sinner's prayer and I'm on my way to heaven. Just sit here till I die. What if, we were, what if we were really intentional about our spiritual maturity so that when disagreements happen, we were spiritually mature enough to handle it the best way possible? That'd be good, right? That would make life better. What if we all remember that no matter what, we're still on Team Jesus? And we're all working toward the same win. And if whatever it is that we're trying to discuss and figure out together, that we can agree that at the end of it, that's where we want to get to. Not, did it satisfy my personal preference? No, did it accomplish this? It's going to make life better. I have a challenge for you. Uh, we're going to close up with this. Uh, a challenge this week. We want to apply God's truth to our disagreements. And on your notes that you have, whatever version you're using of notes this morning, I have a list of verses there. And uh, what I would encourage you, what I would challenge you to do is every day this week, read one of those passages of Scripture and, and pray and ask God, how do I apply this to my life? Maybe some of you would want to take time to memorize those verses or pick out one of them. Pick out the one that challenges you the, the, the most and memorize it. But ultimately, what I'm, what I'm hoping that you will do, that if, if you have a disagreement with anyone, have a disagreement with anyone this week, consider how the verses that you're learning, it doesn't have to just be this one. If you know other verses, awesome. But how does the wisdom of God, how does the truth of God teach me how to handle this disagreement. Make sense? Whether it's with your spouse, your kids, friends, brother, sister, someone in the church, someone where you work. If we are in the mindset of saying, how does God's word tell me I should handle this disagreement as opposed to all the other kind of weird ways that we sometimes handle disagreements? Life's going to be better. Not, not disagreement free. That's not a realistic expectation. But when we have disagreements, man, we can handle them. We can handle them the way God teaches us to handle them, with love, with spiritual maturity, remembering we're on the same team. Right? These are the kind of ways, that forgiveness, lots and lots of grace. These are the kind of things that Jesus has taught us in his word. Let me pray for you. Lord, thanks so much that we're able to be together, and I thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and just some of the really practical things that are, that are in it. And Lord, I pray that as, uh, as we consider applying your 
wisdom, your truth into our lives in this particular area of life. Uh, we pray for discernment and wisdom to be able to do that well. Uh, we pray for humility, uh, that we would have the humility to be able to say, my way isn't necessarily the best way, especially if, if it conflicts with your way, God. Your way's got to be better, and, and I need to be humble enough to admit that and surrender to your way if those two things collide. I just want to thank you uh, for teaching us and your patience with us, Lord, as we learn these things and as we help one another uh, grow in our faith and mature in our faith. Um, it's, 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 good to have, uh, it's good to have brothers and sisters uh, with that same mindset. We're all here on Team Jesus, helping each other live a Jesus-centered life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and I hope you have a great day.